Hi, I'm Greg Elon with Reynolds & Reynolds, and this is Connected. Today, I get to sit down and talk with Lee Harkins. Lee is the president and CEO of M5 Management Services, uh, his own consulting business. Does a lot of work with uh, fixed ops departments. Uh, been in the industry for quite a long time, so I'm excited to talk with him. Lee, thanks so much for, uh, for joining. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So, Lee, and kind of looking, we hadn't met before this conversation, so I'm, I'm excited to dig in a little bit. But I was uh, doing a little research on your background. So, if I if I found anything that was inaccurate, um, I apologize. But uh, okay. if I read right, you started in the auto industry as a, uh, a parts delivery driver. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know any better. I uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, I was on a work study. Uh, type of program where I went to high school for a half a day and then I went to work for a half a day. So I started driving a parts truck for an independent parts store and then that progressed to a store and uh, started out in the Toyota store. Nice. What, uh, what, do you remember what the parts store was like? Was it a franchise store, like a Napa it or was something a, like that? Uh, it was a privately owned uh, group of stores in Bel Air, Maryland. It was called Kunkel's. Okay. And uh, Kunkel's was like the big name in that area for many, many years. And, you know, as it, as it transitioned over the years, they, they've gone away. Somebody bought them and it didn't work or whatever. I don't know how it worked out, but but that's where I got my start. Love it. You know, when I was in college, I worked at Advanced Auto Parts and uh, that delivery driver job. And that was the most coveted job that you could have. It, it was just oh, yeah. uh, you'd hop in the truck and, and take parts and and just run around all day. So it was I mean, it's, it's, so. it's not a bad it's not a bad gig, especially in high school. Right. <laughs> at uh, at 18 years old, there was a lot of uh, motivation and getting in the truck and cranking up the radio and riding up the road. So that was <laughs> uh, that wasn't work at the time. That was pretty, pretty gravy job. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. So obviously, a lot, uh, a lot of experience since then, Lee. Um, but do you mind sharing maybe a little bit, just to level set, uh, a little bit about uh, your business today and, and kind of mm-hmm. what you do, who you work with? Um, sure. You know, there's there's a lot of different ways to go about consulting, right? So I assume you do work with dealers at the tier three level. I don't know if you may mm-hmm. do work at the tier two or even the OEM level as well. So um, maybe if you don't mind, just start there about kind of sure. who you are and what you uh, what you do with your business. Um, I I was. Uh, we started M5 January 1 of 2009, which was not the time to start a consulting company in the car business. It was a pretty rough time. And uh, so we uh, we started M5. I got run off from another company. They decided they could run it better than I could. So I had been with them for about 24 years and uh, I was standing there and all of a sudden I don't have a job. So what am I going to do? So a couple guys came to me and said, let's start a new company. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. And so we did. And uh, here we are. And uh, we've had we've had tremendous uh, uh, following. Our clients are fantastic. Uh, We've always had a good name in the business and uh, it carried over. And uh, here we are. Uh, we specialize in fixed operations. That's all we do. We don't do sales. We don't get into F and I or anything like that. I would tell you probably uh, seventy to eighty percent of our time is working in store uh, in the service departments. That's the biggest part of our our uh, business, and uh, we do everything in service short of uh, technical training. And uh, so it's a it's a really interesting field. I, I I tell people all the time. I've been doing this for a bunch of years and I've never worked a day in my life because I absolutely love what I do. And uh, so that's where we are. But we, we've we done, uh, we do a lot of uh, work with 
with individual dealerships. We also do a lot of OEM work. And uh, in the OEM side, you know, some of the challenges that some of these OEMs have is that they're kind of the dog chasing the car. They call it, now what do we do with it? And uh, so a lot of their service departments are really backed up from a production standpoint. So what we do is we help them improve their business. If I had to boil it all down to the one thing we do is that we make net profit for our stores. Uh, but we do it the right way. We're, we're not the, the people to come in and jack up rates and turn advisors into predators and overcoming objections and all that kind of BS. But, you know, we want to put, we say we put service back in service and it's all about that customer experience and making that customer feel good. And uh, that's what we do. And we focus very heavily on doing it the right way. And uh, that's really has been our trademark for many, many years. And, and we actually believe in it. That, that's, that's the big part. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. So there, there's two things I, I'd really like to double click on there and kind of dive into. So the first one um, you mentioned was, was really around capacity. Right. And, um, you know, they're backed up and pretty much everybody's got capacity issues for for one of two reasons. Either they don't have enough mm -hmm. space, they don't have mm -hmm. enough techs or a lot of them's both. Right. They don't have enough right. physical space and they don't have enough people to do the work. Um, sure. So what are you seeing as uh, maybe common issues and or common fixes, um, if, if there are any that, that you see come up time and time again, um, to those capacity issues, any low hanging fruit that, that you typically go after first? Yes. Um, I would tell you that in my experience, the biggest challenge that we have in service is we don't manage production. Now, the test I give managers is if you if, if the manager is waiting to the last day of the pay period to go sit in their office for two hours to calculate uh, uh, production and calculate everybody's uh, paychecks, they're not managing production, not to the not to the point that we recommend. What we like to do is we want to make every day a victory. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, methodology that goes along with it, but every day's got to be a victory. So what do we have to do? What what, is, what does the victory look like, number one? When we achieve the victory, once we define it, how do we have our people spike the ball in the end zone and do an end zone dance? All right. What is that number? Now, if you don't have that number, then we're all just wondering generalities and we're out there hoping and praying that we're going to produce enough hours to get the customer served. And that's probably the biggest thing that I see. That's number one. Number two uh, thing that I see is that it is so difficult in a lot of these stores for technicians to produce hours. We're not looking at that technician from the standpoint of what is causing that technician downtime. And we've isolated, there's about 21, 22 different biggest draws of that downtime that we've isolated. And what we do is we work with our clients in developing customized plans to improve their production. We, the, the thing that makes us a little bit different in our company is that we don't have an M5 way of doing anything. Um, you know, obviously there's common denominators or small things that you have to do and the common things and they, they need to be done. But there's only about 10 things that I would ever stand in front of a manager and say, you must do. 
And the, the one of them is manage the production, number one, but number two, manage that downtime. Because I can prove in a number of stores that I've worked with over the years that we can get somewhere between now nah, five to 10% increase in production just by addressing their downtime. And the downtime is when that technician is not in the bay turning wrenches. And it, it's an abuse. If you, you walk through a service department, you hear the service advisor paging the top producing technician to come to the service lane. And if you really study it, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to the service lane because they can't find the keys to a car. Well, that's just crazy. But but it's, it comes down to focus. It's, it's making the most important element of our business, that production important to them. That's what, that's what I see. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. I mean, you know, you have all your selling hours, right? We're selling parts, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're selling hours. And if you have, you know, just keep the math simple. So it works in my head as I'm talking out loud, because, uh, <laughs> you know, public math is always a danger. But, you know, if you have 10 bays, right, and you got uh -huh. 10 hours each day, you got 100 hours to sell. And that's if there's right. a car that's sitting, you know, on a lift and isn't being worked on, that's time that's not going to be sold. It just isn't. That's right. right? So, that so how do you how do you keep, you know, and if you focus on, obviously, the tech's the one that has to do the work, but if you can focus on that car and keeping work moving on that car um, mm -hmm. so it's not sitting there taking up space um, that's when it seems like you get those those big gains you know if you can mm -hmm. just keep those cars moving through the process and then get them in get the work done get them out and get the next one on the lift and go from there um, sure. it, it's amazing how many minutes you can pick up throughout the course of a day right and in every one of those minutes is net profit so right. if a if a technician is all, is out of the bay for for six minutes, that's a tenth of an hour. Now, if we can take that six tenths and turn it into a tenth of an hour, the gross profit on that tenth of an hour is net profit, and now we're off to the races. There's no sweeter words that a retailer can hear in their in their business other than net profit, and that's what we we specialize in. But we we focus on net profit, but most importantly, we build it off of a foundation of customer retention. It is all about keeping that customer coming back. And I ask managers all the time when I do live stand-up workshops, I say, okay, I got two tickets in my hand. Hand. One's got 7,000 on it. One's got 70,000 on it. Which ticket you want? Hands down, we always go to the 70. And, and of course, the, the logic is, well, how do you get them to 70? How do you keep them coming back? How do you get that person back? We earn it every time we step up with that client eyeball to eyeball. We're either going to earn it or we're going to lose it. It's that simple. So retention is a huge part of it. Yeah. 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 So let's let's talk about that a little bit then because that was the second piece I wanted to dive into how do you do that you know so I, I think when I when I think about it and I think I try to be objective right I'm on the, mm -hmm. the retail side it's a little bit difficult but if I'm a consumer a pure consumer um, mm -hmm. and I don't work with dealers I don't know dealers um, from my perspective for the most part you know, I'm going in for one of two reasons. First mm -hmm. is maintenance, right? I'm a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So it's 5,000 miles, 10,000 miles, whatever my schedule is. Mm -hmm. um, and second is the repairs. My vehicle gets older, I'm going to need something done to it, right? Sure. So when that repair happens, generally, I'm going to go to the place that can get me in the fastest because I don't have a third car, right? Me and my wife both have a sure. car. I don't have a third car. I need my, my vehicle fixed today, if possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to go to the fastest place, uh, obviously a place that I trust. Maintenance is a little bit different, but in a, in a maintenance instance, usually I'm going to factor in price a little bit more, right? It's not, I'm not, I'm a little bit more price sensitive versus time sensitive. Um, mm -hmm. So taking those two things into consideration, you know, when that, that dealership takes care of me um, or that repair shop 
job or fill in the blank, right? They take care of me and get the work done mm-hmm. that I need done. Um, they can lose my business right there, but I don't mm-hmm. know that they're going to gain it the next time. I mean, they'll be in the running. They, they didn't lose it, but how do you, huh. I guess, so my question, what I'm getting to, and this is a really long winded way to get there. So I apologize. I'm trying to get to this question is, um, how do I make that interaction count when the next time that I see that customer is not going to be for another six or 12 months? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple things. First of all, uh, when you drive, when you take your car in, you ask three questions of the advisor every single time. Every customer does it without question. What are you going to do to my car? When's it going to be done? And how much? And it's not an option of whether we answer those three questions. We must answer those three questions. Now, if you come in with a check engine light on, the what part of it is that we're going to have to diagnose it. All right. That's the what part. Now, the, the, the when is when the what is going to be done to the car. So in other words, if you come in with a check engine light, we're going to have the diagnosis completed and I'll have it done for you by instead of time. If we don't set an expectation for that customer, then they set the expectation themselves. And usually that's a direct opposite of what our our thoughts are. You know, a lot of advisors, if they if they were to commit to. A, um, a customer of specific times, their tongues explode. You know, they just get to the point that they won't commit to anything to stay out of that out of that rat race. Now, there's some repairs that we can't give them a time. Then we got to stay in touch with them. You know, if they're sitting in the waiting room, go in there every hour and say, Mr. Harkins, I just want to let you know we haven't forgot about you. He's still on it, but I just wanted to give you a little update real quick. It's that simple. But <clears throat> what's happening is back to the dog chasing the car syndrome, the, the advisors in a lot of these stores confuse activity with accomplishment because I'm out there running hard and I'm trying to get all this stuff done. I'm making a lot of money. And that's just not the, not the case because we're going to blow some customers out. The other part that, that uh, I think is a, a huge opportunity for us is we have more perceived value in a dealership than any independent out there has. You know, it. it if you think about the consumer, consumers will pay as an average, in my belief, 15% more for a convenient transaction. All right. Now, if I can manage the expectations and keep you advised and let you know I'm working hard to get you as quickly as we can out of the store, it's just going to be a big plus. Now, the other part of it is, is we talk about price. All right. The dealer has a brand in their business, and that is high-priced and we're inconvenienced. So inconvenience is manage the expectation. Express service has been a great addition to our business, but we also have to have to make sure that we add the extra value. People will pay extra when they feel like they're getting something of significance. And we can beat every independent out there. I ask managers all the time, I say, how much money has your store invested in special tools? And they look at me like I got three heads. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we never talk about that. The whole purpose of buying special tools, well, obviously the OEMs don't give us an option in buying them, we gotta (laughs) buy them. But the idea of having them is so that we can do a quality repair the first time. If it's all about price, then it's, and, and that's all we talk about is the price and with no perceived value in the transaction we just keep coming back to price and there's always going to be somebody to beat us on price so we got to add value yeah no you're right you're right so you know there's two pieces to that i think where you think about that consumer interaction you also think about efficiency in the store so you know you have those Mm -hmm. two pieces that we just talked about and and in almost every instance it seems like you have two levers to pull you have process 
right? Mm -hmm. And you have technology or software or tools mm -hmm. or, you know, how to make things faster um, in, in those ways. So kind of bucketing in those two buckets, or if I'm missing a bucket, tell me. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you agree in those two buckets, what are some of the things that you've seen that have had big, uh, big improvement gains for stores that you've worked with, either in the process world or in the, the technology and tools world? Well, both of them have, have had an, a big impact. Let's go with the uh, process first. Sure. I would tell you that in my travels, 90% of the managers do not know how to develop a process. Now, there, there's different types of processes. We have formal processes and we have implied processes. Now, what happens is too many people work on the implied process or the informal process. They spend all of their time there. Um, the biggest impact, I believe that uh, a formal process is nothing more than a roadmap to where to our success, number one. Number two, it always gives us a fallback position as a business to do our remedial training when we need to do it. If you see somebody stepping out of line and not doing a walk around or not using the, the iPad correctly, we always have the opportunity to pull them into the classroom, sit down, pull out the process. Let's go to step four. Let's talk about a step four. Let's make sure that we're completing it. We always have that fallback position. Plus, we have something to measure them to. Now, if an employee is not doing what we ask them to do, they, the, the typical excuse is nobody ever told me that. Well, we eliminate all of that with formal processes. And we got to have a formal process for just about everything we do. One of, one of the biggest formal processes that we write is what, what I call the interactive process. It's the key to key process and everything that happens during that, that key to key. Uh, so that's huge. Now, let's talk about technology. Technology in our business right now has been just over the top from a benefit standpoint to the stores. I applaud you all for the for the, the advancements that you've done here, and I applaud you for the things that you have in consideration. Uh, but they're not, not going to be as effective without the formal processes to support it. You know, it, it, and, and one of the greatest things that I see about tablets is that we we can formalize that interactive process and bring it to a conscious level on the part of the advisor. Did you present a menu? Click yes. All right. <laughs> that, that's a conscious thing. And, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to be trying to improve that experience. If we all sat down and we wrote out an interactive process, we could be very successful on paper. But now the execution is the opportunity and it's holding them accountable. And you know what? There's days that you're going to have to have the jerk back meetings with people to follow the process, but you got to have both pieces. I think the technology has been awesome. We've never had so much information at our fingertips. Um, and that advisor, when they're standing there talking to the, to the uh, client, they can be informed. They know what the background is. They know what the customer's buying habits are. It's been a great asset to us. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So one of the other pieces of this puzzle is, um, you know, as a franchise dealer, obviously we have manufacturers that um, uh, have certain expectations as well. And a lot of manufacturers are coming out with, um, you know, service lane tools or service lane processes um, that they want followed. And mm -hmm. um, those aren't those aren't generally a bad thing. But I'm, I'm curious in your experience and maybe especially with a multi-store group, right, that, that represents mm -hmm. multiple franchises. Um, 
how do you balance that, right? How do you, if you have a Chrysler store and you have a GM store and you have a Hyundai store, right? And all three franchises maybe either require or recommend different tools for your service lane write-up process. Mm -hmm. um, how do you manage that? What's the most effective way to stay sane essentially across your dealership? Well, I, I would say in, in that in environment where there's three or four stores, again, I'm going to fall back to written process. All right? yeah. the, 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 the tools that you provide us are enablers. They enable us to do a better job and to provide a better experience for that customer. But they're not worth the, the uh, technology that they are if we don't have a process of of tasks that we can we can reduplicate with each and every customer not robotic selling there's nothing worse than being a robot out there but it's it's taking that that experience that customer coming in and you know first of all friendly meeting and greeting every sales process out there starts out with a big old smile welcome to our store and an opening that's got to be planned it's got to be rehearsed and it's got to be consistent with each and every customer not the same thing that we get to the point where we're robotic but to the point that that hey friendly meeting and greeting may be different for each person that you meet and that's the best of all the above because you're coming across a heck of a lot more sincere when you do that so that's my thinking no, that's great. That's great. And so as we think about going forward to you mentioned earlier, convenience, a decent amount. And what what at least I've seen in talking with, uh, you know, a decent amount of dealers across the country is we're seeing more and more opportunities to provide convenience for consumers by not forcing them to stay in the store. Right. You think mm -hmm. about the process of, of, you know, just a service process. Right. When somebody sets an appointment, they're probably going to do it on their phone or on the website. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when when they drop their car off, they might need to be to work at eight o'clock. So they can't wait until 730 to drop their car off. They might have to drop it off at seven. So do you have you know, an opportunity for them to do that? And and then once that vehicle's up on the lift, um, they're going to want to understand the work that needs to be done. Right. They're going to want to know mm -hmm. they're going to want to see pictures and videos, but they're off at work. Um, you know, they're going to want to be able to approve work remotely so that you're not playing phone tag for four hours and then you're not getting the, the vehicle sure. done until six o'clock. Um, mm -hmm. There's all these pieces to the puzzle and even payments and, and pick up after hours after they pick their kids up and, you know, taking them to soccer practice and done dinner yeah. and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there's all these pieces to the puzzle where the, the work typically is being done in the store, but the, the consumer, the customer isn't necessarily there. Um, mm -hmm. Are you seeing a shift there? And, and how, how do you adapt? How do you see dealers adapting those processes to incorporate that convenience level of a customer not physically being there? Right. So th there's a couple things about convenience. Convenience is all about making it easy for the consumer. Now, if you look in our lives right now, uh, there is more big box malls going out of business than they are being built, right? Because it's not convenient. It's not convenient for me to go down to the big box mall, park a mile away during the Christmas rush, walk a mile to get to the store, walk another half a mile to go to the store. And go, that's not convenient anymore. The most convenient thing, obviously, is Amazon because Amazon's changed everything in our lives. So what's happening instead of the big box stores, they're building strip malls. You can 
pull in in front. You could walk in. You can get what you want. Get back out. You're done. No harm, no foul. Uh, Amazon, you can do it 24-7, 365, whenever you want. You and, and they make it 10 times easier for us. And what we've got to do in our business is to try and duplicate. And as, a, as I had a retailer tell me one time, he says, Lee, when you can't come up with the ideas yourself, go steal them. All right. So we got to steal some ideas. So how can we be more convenient for the store? We have to continue to evolve. And how can we be more convenient to our clients where we're not losing them to the independents? And, you know, obviously, I, I've, I've done a lot of work with uh, different stores around the country. And one of the, the hottest topics right now is mobile service. That is a huge conversation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's dig into that because, you know, I, I hear a lot of success stories. I hear a lot of stop and starts and, and there doesn't really seem to be a middle ground. Either it works or it doesn't. So, you know, when it when it works, some things that I've seen and I'm really curious what you've seen. Typically, um, it's market based. Right. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's a decent weather climate. Um, typically, it's a mid market. Right. So not a huge mm -hmm. city, not a small town, uh, more mm -hmm. of a you know, mid sized city, um, a bigger small city or a mid sized city. Um, and typically, it's um, it's going to be a uh, well, I, I shouldn't say typically, I, I would say more than half are higher line stores. Um, mm -hmm. so I don't know, do you see any, any trends there? Does that align with what you've seen or is it kind of hit or miss what, with what you've seen too? Well, he, here's what I will tell you. Um, I've been involved with several OEMs in, in, in mobile service. Yeah. And yeah. in one particular case, I was asked to, uh, uh, take a look at some of their printed material on implementing mobile service. So I got a lot of background in it, both both from that standpoint and also from a client standpoint. I will tell you that of the 10 things that I would say to a retailer they must do, they got to look at mobile service. Mobile service to me is a game changer. All right. Um, I'm really excited about mobile service. The stores that have done it, um, that really get after it and get get aggressive with it have been successful for the most part. Now, to your point, there is some that have tried it and then they put their foot on the accelerator, they backed off. They, it, it's really about making a commitment. Now, what I've seen in my travels uh, is that the ones that are putting their foot on the brake or, or on the accelerator, they're trying to do too much too quick. All right. Now, <clears throat> what happens in a lot of stores is that we're we have to make the financial statement or our monthly report card look good. OK, so what happens is that's what we're about. So what's what's happened over the over the period is a lot of people run out there and say, OK, we're going to get going. And let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just go. Well, that's good and bad. It, it's dependent on how strong will the people are that are running it. OK, again, we come back to the one of the things that we talked about earlier is a process. Right. How do we do this? How do you staff it? If you start throwing a bunch of people at it, uh, um, th there was one uh, one process that I read. They put two people in the van, two more people in the store, along with a, uh, a person or two in the BDC. That's overkill. All right. There's no reason to jump into it and go go crazy in the beginning. Do something small. Uh, get your van, get it set up. 
focus for the first three, four months on doing special order parts and maybe recalls. Do the small operations first. Let's get our sea legs under us first. There's a lot of things that, that these stores are, are figuring out that they didn't see going in or didn't plan going in, all right? So if they go out to do a reflash, all right, a lot of them are using the little little hotspots, you know, the mobile right. hotspots. They don't work in all the same places. So you get out there, you get a customer that's called you to, to come and do a flash on their car. You go out to do the flash, and now you don't have signal to do it. Those are the little things that, that can be very irritating. So what I tell everybody is go back to the special order shelf, take that customer that you know you that you know is a survey customer, all right? Go out there and wow them and put the put the part on for them. They're going to fill out a nice survey. They're going to be blown away. And now we're starting to get accustomed to the growth and we start growing. It. Um, I, that's that's my thinking. I, too many people try to be everything to everybody starting out. You can't do that in mobile service. But I tell you, I really believe that mobile service is going to be our future. Um, there, if you if you Google mobile service, there's already a number of independents that are in it. You know, a lot of these guys have have used the uh, the Uber style of scheduling and the Uber style of uh, of booking and <clears throat> the independents that is, and they're doing doing very well with it. There's a number of very large companies out there. Uh, one of the large public companies just bought one of them here, you know, six months ago. So that tells you that there's somebody sitting there going, this makes sense. So I tell all my, my clients, you got to get in it. It's a yeah, must. So are there, are there any types of work or maybe specific jobs that shouldn't be done in a mobile environment? I think about the difference between the examples you gave are great, right? You mm -hmm. have special order parts. So the car was already in the shop probably, right? Mm -hmm. You diagnose the problem. Um, mm -hmm. It's a sensor, whatever. Camshaft sensor is bad, whatever oh. it is. <clears throat> um, that's a pretty easy fix in a driveway or in a parking lot, right? Sure. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, transmission fluid flush and a filter change, not as easy in a parking lot or in a, you know, in a garage. So, um, you know, is there certain types of work that you should stay away from? Well, the, the, what, what each store has to do, each state is different in how they look at oil and yep. how it, it, you know, used motor oil in some states is a hazardous material. Now, how you transport that hazardous material will dictate whether you're going to do this or not. All right. Um, when 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 the um, uh, the independents first came out with this, they were draining the oil the conventional way, taking the drain plug off, putting it back. You're always going to have somebody that didn't get it just right. It's going to be a leak. It's going to leak on the driveway. Now we got a bad experience. What I recommend to to stores that are looking at it is get it get an oil extraction machine that pulls it out through the dipstick hole. Yep. You get it. Number one, you get it all. Number two, you don't have to worry about the the uh, drain plug and the leaks and that type of thing. So my my suggestion is, first of all, what can you do? What can't you do in the state that you're in? Uh, I would not start out with any type of fluid exchange in the beginning. I would start out easy peasy and then ramp up you know, after, you know, two or three months, get your, get your legs under you, then go to the next service, then go to another one, then perfect that, then go to another one. But, but definitely check the states. Now, the other thing that I'm seeing is mobile tire service. Okay. And that's okay. happening all over the country as well. 
there's one equipment manufacturer that uh, has made a uh, completely module um, uh, unit that just slides in with a forklift into the back of the van, bolts down, and you're done in your entire business. Um, that's huge. And, and I think that the next step of mobile service is going to be the, the mobile tire service. Um, I think that's what's coming. But it's going to evolve. But we got to get in this game. Because if we don't, we're going to get lost, and, it's gonna, and, the, and the competition is going to blow past us again, and they'll have a competitive advantage over us. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the tire is a good angle. I I kind of forgot about that. Honestly, I think uh, Hunter's one certainly that that has a machine that'll that'll bolt down to your point right in right in the van. And, um, it's it's a pretty slick machine. Uh, you know, I saw mm-hmm. it I think last year at NADA, and and uh, it's it's pretty amazing what you can get done. And and you know, tires are are something that that aren't that difficult, right? If you got the right machine, you right. throw four tires in the van, get yep. them on and off, and move on. And, and one of one of the greatest advantages that I see with mobile service is a customer can stand there and watch us do it. And that adds all the credibility in the world to what we're doing. Um, add to that that your technician has a personality, can interact with people. You show them something special about their car. You spend a little bit of time answering questions. It is a great experience if we go into it the correct way. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Well, Lee, while we got a couple minutes still, I was I was hoping to um, uh, get your perspective, kind of shift gears a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. because you've had you've had quite you know quite a career over mm-hmm. over you know at least twenty years, we'll say you know probably yeah, a little we'll, more than we'll, that. We'll stay with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I mean you know quite a career doing a lot of different things. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective. You know, you mentioned you started your own consulting company uh, mm-hmm. in 2009, which you know, difficult time to start serving car dealers, certainly. But Mm -hmm. what has your transition looked like, right? So there's a lot of people out there that uh, they're doing great work and love what they do with, Mm -hmm. uh, with a dealership, or or maybe they're, maybe they're at a parts store, who knows, right? But, you know, how, how has that transition went for you going from working in the store to being a consultant for another company to having your own consulting business? Um, Were there any hiccups or bumps in the road that that maybe others could learn from at all? Uh, the one thing I would tell you that that we preach to our staff is that we, you know, if you think about consulting, um, when we go into a store, a lot of people get really nervous because they're going to tell them about this and they're going to tell them about that. All right. I, I, we try not to do that. Uh, number one. Number two, uh, we try to develop systems and processes for their people to operate, okay? It makes no sense to put a 1,000 horsepower motor in a chassis that can only handle 200 200 horsepower, right? So we try to customize everything we do specifically to the staff, to the market, to the dealer, to their philosophy and how they run their business. Um, That has not changed a lot over over the, the years. What has changed, though, is the expectations of the retailers and the dealers out there in that they want more coming from fixed. And so we've had to, you know, focus very heavily on coming up with new 
new ways and processes to help serve our clients. Uh, we do a lot of, um, of organizational structure change in stores. Uh, we've done a lot of modifications there. Uh, we've done a lot of modifications and processes uh, with the enablers and the technology in the lane. That That's really changed our processes a lot, and we adapt to that. Um, we use all of them. We can use all of them, and we can maximize all of them. And, and it's uh, it's kind of a, a, a challenge for our staff because they work with several different each week, right? So, so they may be in one store that's got a different system than the next store. Uh, but we, we, we try extremely hard to stay current on the things that, that you all provide. Uh, we're students of the business, number one. We want to study what everybody's doing and see if we can help our clients get better in those areas. And that's what we do. Uh, yeah, but over yeah. the years, we've always uh, the, the one thing that we stress to our people when they're in the store is outwork every single vendor that that dealer has ever come in contact with. And that's what we do. And we outwork them. If it means staying till 10 o'clock at night, don't have an issue coming in early, you know, putting putting more emphasis on certain areas, whatever it takes. That's what we yeah. do. Yeah. That's great. You know, you mentioned something there that, that stood out to me. I was looking at some numbers uh, earlier today, actually, and you, you mentioned more and more, I don't remember the words you used, so I apologize, but but basically more pressure being put on fixed operations departments to uh, sure. to carry to carry more of the workload, right? And, and we, we're coming out of this, yeah, and it really is, we're coming out of this, uh, you know, kind of two, three-year stretch where um, margins on the front end were really, really good. Uh, mm-hmm. But <clears throat> this year, 2023, we're, we're seeing that kind of come back to reality, right? Volume's going up a little bit. Margins are coming back down. Um, and then the numbers that I looked at, so December of 21, uh, fixed stops was only accounting for about 28% of the overall gross profit for a dealership. Mm-hmm. Um, in August of this year, that was up to 42%. That's sure. a that's a big shift, right? In it's gross a profit responsibility shift. in a very short amount of time. So that right. pressure is just going to keep building, I think. Right. And and what the what what we work with our dealers on is that if you look at those numbers, the only flaw in that number is that because of the drop in the gross on the sales side, it made that that 28 percent become a larger percentage of a smaller pie. Right now, what we want to do in fixed and what we stress in fixed is you got to grow the business. You've got to continually be growing that business. Now, the challenge, though, is because we didn't sell as many cars in 21 and part of 22. Now, our client base, if we're not focused on retaining those clients, that client base has just shrunk. So we've got to go out and get some get the clients that we ran off that defected during that period. And I, I really think we got some challenges here over the next uh, next year in fixed operations because yeah, well, of the I would, car sales. No, I think you're right. And I think I would add that I don't know that the, the number of customers, I mean, there's going to be the same number of cars on the road. Right. For the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. But yep. the average age of vehicles is going to be much older. So the type huh. of work that people are in market for is going to be different. And I think we have to shift to accommodate that. And both in our, our marketing to pull people in, but also just in the store, understanding, you know, that quick lane is important, but you mm-hmm. have to do a really good inspection because you're going to find more work. Right. There's Absolutely. more work that's going to need to be done. And, and one of the challenges that we, we run into quite a bit, Greg, is that a lot of these stores still are not doing a comprehensive inspection of the vehicle. Uh, 
And, you know, I, I tell all of them, I said, you know, all a multi-point inspection is, is what good technicians years ago did before we had them. I mean, when they would bring right. a car in, they made it a point to look the car over. And and so I see the, the multi-points as being an effective selling tool in that, you know, we're selling and we're setting up the next visit the next sale by, you know, going over those, those, uh, brake lot, brake uh, uh, measurements and the tire measurements, but being consistent doing that. If we're inconsistent doing that, um, we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot. There's not a store out there that hasn't had a customer come in and say, the last time I was here, you told me I had uh, three thirty seconds. Now I got five thirty seconds. How did that work? You know, that's a poor multi-point somewhere along the line. Somebody's messing up. Uh, but again, comes back to the first thing we talk about process, process, process. <laughs> yep. every, right. I tell them all every little box on that inspection sheet needs a process written for it. Well, that's a lot of work, um, but it still needs to be done. And both both from a marketing tool and, and merchandising tool, but also from a liability standpoint, because there's there's a bunch of stores around the country got themselves into some pretty tough pickles because of their uh, inconsistency doing multi points. Yep, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, Lee, I could I could probably talk to you for the next five or six hours here, but I want to be uh, be respectful <laughs> of your time. Um, anything else that uh, it's been a fun conversation? I really do appreciate it. But anything that we haven't touched on that you want to? Anything else you want to uh, dig into? No, I, I just think that uh, right now is a tremendous time for these stores to really look at that technician downtime, because if we can increase our production, that that will eliminate our dependency on adding additional techs, you know? So if we could increase, if a store is doing 2,500 hours a month and we could increase our production by 10%, that's roughly the equivalent of at least a technician. And in some cases, a little bit more. And so we can, we can eliminate a lot of our dependency on going out and hiring new techs by really studying and looking at, you know, with, with wide open eyes, you know, a lot of these managers can't see the forest for the trees because they're in it every day. But sure. step back and just take the time as a manager and step back and take a look at what's going on in the store. Take a look at that downtime. When's it? Why is that technician leaving the bay? What are they doing? Now, the key to this is to process out of the equation their downtime. So, you know, one of the ones that, that comes up quite often is parts. Well, there's all kinds of things that we can do from the parts department. We can deliver parts. We can put parts consignments cabinets in the bays. There's there's a lot of ways to, to correct that. We're not going to fix them, but we're going to improve them, and they're all improvable. we got to keep improving. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good uh, line to end on. Is you know, find everything and, and improve it a little bit. It, uh, it makes all the difference. Good. Well, Lee Harkins, uh, President and CEO of M Five Management Services. Thank you so much for joining today. It was a really fun conversation, and, and we should probably do a, uh, a volume two here at some point because I could. I could talk to you right. probably for the next you know next day yeah, or so. I'd I'd love to do it. Let me know. Give me give me just a little notice, and I'll uh, we'll get it worked out. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much, Lee, and have a great uh, great day. Greg, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the time. 
Well, that was a fun conversation with Lee Harkins. I definitely appreciate him coming on. Um, you know, wealth of knowledge, lots of experience, and it all comes back to that thing that we, we I think we all know is it's about the process, right? And, and all the tools in the world um, help. They really do, but you have to have a process and you have to follow it. So um, improving those, those little things a little bit every single day makes a big difference. And uh, uh, that was one of my big takeaways. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, before we hop off, don't forget, you can watch or listen to all episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify podcasts, and make sure to hit subscribe so you're notified every other week when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks.